Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, got a full panel tonight. Got three guys uh, joining me here, and I'm going to introduce them in just a second. Then, actually, one of them is going to be sticking around, and he's going to be uh, one of my special guests tonight. Uh, he's going to be joined by another gentleman by the name of Tom Schreiner, who is from the uh, Maclemore Club up in Georgia. Uh, we'll talk to him and uh, the panelists, and I'll introduce them in just a moment, uh, and then we're going to have a great discussion throughout the program. So, um, let me just remind everybody, of course, we're live every Thursday evening from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the uh, blogtalkradio.com network, and uh, we're going to, uh, as I said, have a great discussion tonight. Um, just to remind everybody, too, as well, about the uh, uh, schedule, um, we're going to have um, one more show this month, the 17th, which is next Thursday, and then we'll be off, of course, observing uh, for the week of Thanksgiving, so there won't be a show on the 24th. And then we'll be back for three more shows to wrap up the season, the 1st, the 8th, and I believe it's the 15th of uh, December. And then we'll be on an extended break until uh, February of next year where we'll fire things back up. And then, of course, the Coach's Corner panel always uh, starts back up in March. So let me introduce the guys and, uh, and bring them on. So joining us uh, tonight on the Coach's Corner panel is John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida PGA uh, Section. Uh, he was also a recipient of the 2013 PGA of America's Professional Development Award. Uh, he's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor and part of Golf Tips Advisory staff. Uh, he's going to be joining me, as I mentioned, uh, one of the panelists is going to be joining me on the second half uh, with Mr. Schreiner. Uh, also rounding out the panel is Brian Dobby. He's a PGA teacher professional, uh, currently at the Trump uh, National in Bedminster, New Jersey. Uh, he was formerly at the Montclair Golf Club, where he spent 18 years winning uh, five New Jersey section awards. Uh, and he was a 2012 Teacher of the Year and also being ranked as uh, number seven in Golf Digest Top Teachers in New Jersey. Uh, rounding up the panel, of course, is Paul Castor. He's one of the country's leading golf coaches and recognized by uh, Golf Digest as one of the country's best teachers uh, since 2017. He's been twice honored by U.S. Kids Golf as one of their top 50 kids coaches. Uh, he works with golfers of all skill levels, including professionals who have competed in majors. Uh, he serves on the advisory boards of a number of organizations, including Foresight Sports and 4D Motion Sports, and is Level 2 and uh, Junior Golf TPI certified, Aimpoint Golf and Science in Motion, and many others as well. So, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Great to be here. All right, I appreciate Thank you, it. Ted. I appreciate it. So we're going to talk about, as I mentioned to you guys briefly off air, um, we're going to talk about fall-winter golf. 
but before we get into some specifics that you guys might be doing, um, I thought I would start with this question. I'm going to give it to each of you. It's the same question, um, but I want to get from a different perspective because obviously we all teach differently. We all have different methods and, and you know, ideologies, if you will, in some cases. Uh, but generally we have uh, sort of the core belief system, I think, is teaching the game. And this one here is really talking about um, the sort of the practice regime. So I want you to walk us through, based on your experience from students that you've worked with, whether currently or in the past, um, and I'm going to start uh, in the order I introduced you. So, John, I'm going to start with you. So walk us through typically what you see your students, what their typical practice regime is, if they, if they have any. And then I want you on the flip side, I want you to then introduce what you would like to see them do instead. So walk us through what you typically see on the range or um, you know, on the golf course as they're getting ready to uh, maybe go out and play or what have you or work through a session with you. What typically is, if anything, do you see them putting together a practice regime, uh, working on their game, if, at all, if anything, and what would you like to see them do instead? Sure. First off, thanks, Ted, again for the opportunity. It's a lot of fun being on the podcast once a month. This just out a couple more times. And, gentlemen, looking forward to the lively discussion you guys always bring to the table. Let me start with saying everybody's practice regimen should be different based on your skills, the skills you're trying to improve, those kinds of things. What I see of just clientele in general is – uh, the lack of knowledge of how to practice is the best way to say it. Most people will just hit balls for the sake of hitting balls and maybe see a tip online, uh, get a tip from me or somebody else, and they work on that tip that's great, but their failure to warm up properly, their failure to warm down properly, and then segment their practice into different types of practice is really where I try to get people to go to uh, the warm-up, not as critical as the warm-down, especially if you're over the age of 35. Science is starting mm-hmm. to prove that. Uh, but warm-down prevents injury. And I think regardless of age, that's something you've got to do. A great warm-up is stretching beforehand, making sure that your core is ready to work, that your extremities are flexible, mobile, yet stable enough to allow you to turn and do the things you want them to do. And there's tons of ideas and tons of different things you can do out there. It's best you get with a fitness professional and or your golf professional who might be TPI certified or certified through another fitness organization to to help you with that. What I see people do with practice is they'll jump right into the, the club they want to practice the most. Uh, I'm always asking my clients, let's as you warm up, let's use wedges to get you into a good rhythm, timing, and tempo and grow the swing from there to the point where once you're into a driver, you should feel fairly loose yet stable within your swing. You're, you're feeling what you, sh- what you want out of your swing, and maybe you're feeling what you don't want out of your swing. And it's at that point you can go into a block practice of working – to working whatever drill your coach has provided you. I think you have to uh, switch it up a little bit and get into a more randomized type of practice. Not only random picking different golf clubs, I always recommend to my clients five balls per club, but also random as far as the targets you're going to, random as far as 
are you working on an actual skill and trying to improve a motor movement, or are you trying to recreate the same pressure you'd have out on the golf course and, and trying to randomize most everything within your practice and then segment it based on your statistics. If your statistics are saying your ball striking is really what needs to work, you've got an hour in a practice session, it's okay to be spending 30 to 40 minutes on ball striking, but the reverse is true. If your stats are saying, look, you're putting 40 times around, your up and down percentage is less than 20% or whatever it is, that should be the key to tell you, hey, ball striking, let's maintain that. Let's work on the other short game skills that is the low-hanging fruit to reduce my scores quicker. And then warming down, you just, to me, warming down is going in reverse. Uh, what I see most people do is they're out of balls, the bucket's empty, and they walk away. Uh, they go to the car, they go play golf, they go to the bar. They, they do a lot of different stuff, but they don't right. run down. And I think if you were to save the 15 to 20 balls left in your basket, to work in reverse, work from big swings to small swings. And then when you're done with those balls, go through the stretching again. It's vitally mm -hmm. important. I guess so the science is there. Uh, to me, that would be a really good practice. We could get it more detailed, and I'm certainly getting it more detailed with the clients who are much more committed to playing and playing at a competitive level. I'm, I'm working on one right now uh, that's pretty lengthy but it always includes the warm-up, warm-down. It's very randomized. It hits every skill that this particular golfer needs. Well said. Um, Brian, the same question for you, but I'm going to massage the first part a little bit um, because I think you probably agree a lot with what John uh, just said as far as what people typically do. Um, so I'm going to ask the first part in a, a little bit different way, and that is uh, are you seeing most people when they are practicing, um, and again, without having your assistance and they're sort of on their own, are they not practicing enough? Are they practicing too much or just not the right things that um, are going to be conducive to helping their game? And again, it may not even be a student. Maybe just you're out there preparing for a lesson. You're watching people warm up and practice and so forth. And what typically are you seeing as some of the, the issues as far as uh, maybe typical students or typical range rats, if you will, that you're seeing? And, uh, and then what would you like to see them do instead? If you had uh, them in front of you for a few minutes, what would you advise them to do and how to sort of put together a more efficient practice routine? Uh, great question, Ted. Uh, starting off, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate mm -hmm. always talking to you. And uh, I learned so much from listening to everybody else. John, pretty much hit everything, you know, on the head with that uh, opening um, dialogue you had. Um, the things I see, you know, it's funny. I was uh, teaching a student uh, last week, and we stuck our head outside the learning bay, and I said, take, take a look at the practice putting green, the range, and our short game area. All three of them are in eyesight. And I said, w what do you see? And he said, nobody's on the putting green and nobody's on the short game area. And I said, I, I see the same thing. So in terms of mm -hmm. practice, I think our, our, our players tend to gravitate towards the range first and full swing. And, you know, I like to um, put out, put a program out for my students where what's going to add value to mm -hmm. lowering their scores, you know, is it, is it hitting driver after driver on the range or should we spend some time, you know, on our lag putting 
um, you know, 10, 15 minutes on that, and then a few minutes chipping and pitching, and then maybe go over to the bunker, hit a couple bunker shots, and then gravitate towards the full swing. You know, I think it goes hand in hand with what John said, you know, warming up the body, stretching, stretching out. I think light swings with the putter lag putting, say, from 40 feet, you know, gets us associated with the club face hitting the ball, gets a good rhythm going, and, and also our touch and feel for the game. And as you guys know, that's really important. So, you know, um, practice is different for everybody. Like John mentioned, your skill level is going to determine what you, what you practice. But for our better players, I think finding a rhythm um, is, is really important uh, as, as you start out and getting the body warmed up. And then and also work on shots that you might be hitting on the golf course. I always like to use the expression, practice like you play and play like you practice. You know, when we go out in the golf course, we're not hitting seven seven irons in a row or seven drivers. So, you know, try to simulate your round a little bit, the holes you're going to play um, as you practice and, you know, you get more into a rhythm that's conducive to playing the game of golf, you know, more time between shots and stuff like that. So I like to, I like to program my students to um, what's value-added practice, you know, the putter, the short game, the driver. Th- those are three critical clubs for, for all of us for scoring. Um, those are the things I like to, to work on, Ted. And, um, and now if I could – see more people on the putting green in the short game area, man, that would make me happy. But that's, that's my job to educate people um, to do that. And do that. And I think, I think that's how we get players to shoot lower scores. So that's what I would contribute to this conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Well said, uh, Brian. Um, I think that, you know, as you pointed out, we are educators in a sense that we're educating them on, on a good, uh, you know, practice fundamentals and good playing fundamentals. Paul, I'm going to tweak this just a little bit more for you, just to make it a little bit different. Uh, you've obviously worked, uh, as as all of them, uh, the others on the panel have as well, from uh, sort of beginning players right up to some top players. Uh, so you see a, a general difference in in how they practice the, at the top and how sort of the everyday golfer practices there. So. Give us maybe a, a general overview first off before you give us your response and what you would like to do uh, if you had that, that particular high, higher handicap uh, player uh, in front of you, how you would uh, guide them into a better practice routine. But talk about what you notice the differences um, between the better players when they get out and practice as opposed to the everyday golfer that, uh, as the guys uh, before you sort of mentioned. So just give it a sort of a, a demonstration of the differences that you see uh, from students that you've worked with. And, Paul, I'm not sure if you got your mic muted or not. Do you want to unmute? Yep, I'm here. Yep. Sorry. There you I, go. Uh, no, that's okay. I know. I was trying to be respectful. And, uh, yeah, no, no, good. No, I think uh, uh, it's a great question. It's great to be on with all of you guys, and uh, as always, and um, you know, Brian and uh, and John, I think talked a lot about what applies to a lot of higher handicap golfers, and I do teach mm-hmm. regular regular players, you know, typical golfers, and um, I think the general kind of lack of focus or lack of time spent on 
short game, uh, on putting, on key putting skills, putts inside of six feet and putts uh, 25 feet and out and lag putting. You know, you if you do some really concentrated practice on those two dis- in those two distances with some targeted drills uh, that improve key skills like getting the club face back to square, aiming and getting the club face back to square on short putts and speed control on longer putts, um, your scores are going to drop, you know, very much, much faster. And you feel a lot safer on a golf course when you can putt. Um, And so, you know, as far as low hanging fruit goes, I'm a big, I'm a, I focus on putting. I would call myself a a bit of a putting specialist, I guess. Um, And, you know, I try to like, Brian mentioned, push people into or uh, promote putting and coaching and instruction because uh, it's not, it may not be as much fun as hitting that pure, sweet, full swing shot and making the golf ball fly a long way. But as far as lowering your scores and making golf less stressful, being able to, to uh, get the ball in the hole and feel comfortable about that is, is a really big deal. Um, basic chipping skills, uh, practicing your setup, thinking about how important it is to set up differently for these different kinds of shots and really focusing on your short game setup um, and just nailing fundamentals like that uh, and starting a, a warm-up session or a pre-round uh, you know, session with some wedge shots where you're focused on landing the club under the golf ball and using the bounce and uh, controlling the bottom of the swing and hitting the club, the ball in, in a consistent spot on the face, all things that are going to make a warm-up on the range much more comfortable because you won't be trying to, <clears throat> you know, make a very big, full, fast swing right out of the gates. And mm-hmm. I think all, you know, John and John and, and Dobbs would probably agree that we see a lot of people kind of run to the tee uh, at, at the clubs, uh, run to the tee, maybe hit a few golf balls on the range full swing if they have time. Life is very busy. It's, uh, it's gotten busier, I think, for a lot of folks. And so it's hard to set aside time for yourself to get there a little bit early. And and prepare um but if we can if we give ourselves 30 45 minutes hit some little chips uh work on your setup work on uh the chipping fundamentals and and hit some five six foot putts and some long lag putts and focus just on your speed control and getting a sense for the speed of the the greens that day do that before you go to the range and you've already tackled some really key skills for scoring that are kind of easier than the big fast motion of the golf swing. So you're, you're kind of primed and ready to go warm up. Um, You know, I think John's suggestion about only hitting five golf balls with uh, each of your clubs during a warm up is really good. I think when I was playing my best, I probably only hit like three or four and just worked my way up through my bag, got loose, and and then 
if I needed to focus on a particular club during my session that day, maybe because of the golf course or just because I wanted to work on hitting three woods or whatever it was, then I would focus on that club while I still had energy. Um, but those would be good suggestions for, I think, practice for a higher handicap who's trying to get the most out of their one or two hours that they might have to go to the range. Um, mm -hmm. What we see with better players, I think, is that they're doing very targeted practice. They have at access to their staff. Um, you know, that started, I think, with Zach Johnson when he won the Masters. Uh, gosh, that was a long time ago now, you know. But uh, he had a stats consultant, uh, Peter Sanders. And mm -hmm. Peter broke down what the most important things were about his game and gave him a strategy. And, you know, Zach really, uh, he won that Masters because he focused on what his strengths were and he kind of shored up some of his weaknesses in his prep for the tournament. Um and now everybody has access to their shot link data. And so, you know, whether you're on the PGA Tour or not, we can all keep our own stats and get very in-depth information about what our <clears throat> skills are, what we need to work on. Um, and that's, that's how I shape practice programs for my clients because if they're serious, they really need to be and, and we're working together, they're keeping their stats, and I'm creating a practice program for them based on on what their their statistics show. Well said, uh, Paul. Thank you for that. And, and you know, when I listen yep. to the three of you, and and you know, obviously there's some similar information, of course. I mean, I think it's it's pretty common. But what I sort of hear in a sort of an undertone, if you will, uh, is is really what the key problem is, and especially, you know, with your answer, Paul, sort of talking between uh, the, the better players and the, the, you know, those still struggling to, to, you know, better their games, is it's not so much that they're not practicing, it's that the better players know how to practice. Um, in other words, they know how to better focus, as you put it, uh, on what they need to do. And I think that makes a difference. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, and you can tell um, some are better than others, but you can watch people. Uh, I like to do that sometimes when I'm up hitting some balls on the range, just sort of warming up or what have you, and I will see down the range, and I'll watch people as they come up. You know, they're bringing their balls up, and I can tell the ones that have a, a sort of method to their madness um, or, or a, a, a purpose with their practice is a better way to put it, and others that are just sort of willy-nilly going up there. Now, obviously, some are maybe just warming up for a round, so they're not looking to, to get into a full practice session. But I think that that's the underlying tone, is that really the higher handicap players, as opposed to the better players, really don't know how to practice. They don't know how to put together a good practice regime based on, uh, as you put, uh, Paul and the others, uh, is the stats. They don't really know their stats in some cases. They don't understand them. They don't know how to sort of read through them. And so they don't know how to put together. So they're just sort of, well, I'll go and hit a few putts. I'll hit my driver. And I like doing that. And maybe I'll hit a few chips and that. And then that's it. And they're not really putting any sort of method to it. So uh, great answers, guys. Um, John, I'm going to come back up with you on this one here. And um, this is kind of an, a, a – it's going to sound very similar, but it's really not. If you um, 
if you sort of really dig into it. Uh, golf is really about making, obviously, as we know, as a commitment uh, to both practice and play. And uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a marriage of the two, and it's a balancing act. So I, I'm going to ask um, each of you again, and, and obviously for, for time we've got to keep it fairly limited because I've got a couple more things I want to ask both or uh, all of you. So, um, so, John, if you had a 25 handicap player in front of you wanting to shave, let's say, 10 strokes off that handicap, what would be your plan to make it happen? What would you do specifically? Um, obviously, they're going to practice and so forth, but what would you do specifically to make that happen? And uh, the other guys, uh, don't forget to mute your mics uh, while, while John and, and conversely when you guys come on back on. So real quick, putting uh, at that kind of handicap level, all the statistics point to there's a lot of putts. So let's eliminate three putts by distance control, square contact, squaring the club to your target, and making some shorter putts, um, really concentrating on those two specific skills. When it comes to ball striking, let's start with chipping. You're going to miss a lot of greens at that handicap level. Can you get a ball yeah. three to five feet from the hole and go through some drills that way, not just in one place and not just with one club to get you there? And then as far as ball striking goes, uh both the others mentioned this in their previous answers. How do you square the club face, and what does the club face influence, and have you understand that and get you to, to the point where you can gear your swing down? Most people at that handicap level are swinging out of their shoes, regardless of gender or age, uh, because of we're, we're culturalized now to make this game a game of length. Well, in order for you to gain length, you've got to square the golf club first, and you have to understand that. And let's take you through some very rudimental objectives of getting you set up properly so your current swing can be consistent. When you're setting up inconsistently, your swing's going to be inconsistent. Once we have you set up properly, now we have a little bit more consistent swing to diagnose and to mend, per se, but really what we're talking about is squaring the club face. Let's have you understand how you do this most effectively so your dispersion pattern isn't quite as wide. You have a chance to play the ball each and every time versus go look for it. If, if I were to break it down into those three buckets, and I do this quite often with beginners, those are the three buckets we stick with no matter how much they want to do something else because without mm -hmm. those three, they will not reduce their scores. Yeah, well said. Um, Brian, again, I'm going to tweak it just slightly. Um, you've got that 25 handicapper in front of you wanting to shave those 10 strokes off. Uh, obviously, I know you have a plan probably very similar to, to what John might have. Um, but I also think, you know, Jack Nicholas famously always talked about every season he would come out and, you know, instead of just hitting, a, you know, 1,000 or two balls, um, he worked through a lot of the fundamentals. And I think with a lot of our higher handicappers, part of the problem, uh, certainly the issues that John pointed out, but a lot of it is they don't really have good fundamentals. What, what are your thoughts in this uh, scenario? That was for Brian, by the way. And don't forget to unmute your mic. Oh, my apologies. Brian had gotten dropped. Um, Brian, sorry, did you hear that question or no? Uh, no, I I just lost connection for a second. W w w give me the question again. Sorry. Okay. So, um, 
basically the same as John. So essentially the question is this. You, you've got a 25 handicapper in front of you looking to shave about 10 strokes off their game. Uh, I don't know if you heard some of John's answer. He gave some specific things that he would do. And I, I'm just going to tweak it a little bit for you. Uh, and as I was mentioning, you know, Nicholas, when he comes out every year, uh, when he was playing uh, more competitively, uh, you know, he worked on a lot of fundamentals. And there are certain areas of the game that obviously you need, uh, you need to improve if you want to shave those strokes off. But a lot of it starts with, with having good fundamentals. And a lot of 25 handicappers don't have good fundamentals. So what, what would you do in this scenario if you had that person in front of you and they're looking to drop, say, 10 or, or more strokes off their handicap? What are you going to set them up to do uh, for success? Sure, great question, Ted. So fundamentally, you know, 25 handicappers, I'd go right to how, how they have their hands on the club. Um, is, do their hands equal the club face somewhat, or do they, does it really oppose the club face? So I would attack that, number one. Number two, aim. Are they aiming at their target? You know, and I think most people aim pretty good, but sometimes it's off when we work the ball to the target. But um, a lot of 25 handicappers aren't aiming properly, usually too far to the right. Um, so I would check on that. And then also balance that address, you know, trying to find your balance points and get into a nice athletic position for for 25 handicappers. Typically they set up out of balance. They don't understand um, their ball position, where it should be in relation to their spine. So I would definitely keep that more simple where you could work off a shot that they could um, replicate over and over to get that ball around the golf course. And to add on to what John said, I would try to get a 25 handicapper out on the golf course for two or three holes to see what kind of club selection they're using, especially in the rough, and find a, find a game plan to get the, the ball up around that green and then chip and putt. I think 25 handicappers need to be on the course a little bit to say, hey, do I really need to hit this shot or should I just hit this shot to this area and play more with, with shots and clubs that I'm comfortable with? I think that can definitely bring a 25 handicapper down to a 15 just – by tweaking a couple things they do on the golf course. Um, the, short, the short game is obviously important, but um, mm. the fundamentals, I think, go into what you're thinking on the golf course, too, other than just mm. you know, grip and stance and ball position. How do you think out there? I think that's a fundamental that is overlooked a little bit. Um, so I would attack that, Ted. Yep, uh, well said. Uh, and, Paul, again, a slight tweak for you here. Just to actually sort of piggyback on what Brian just said, uh, maybe you could expand on this area a little more. I mean, there's certain things I'm sure that the others have, have probably said that you would agree with, and maybe have a few others as well. Uh, but I think a big one is lack of preparation, not just in in, in hitting the shots and, and so forth, but just not really preparing to play that round. They're just not really thinking about the holes ahead of time and, and coming up with, a, with a, a strategy. So maybe touch on that a little bit uh, as we work through helping some of our higher handicaps down to a lower uh, handicap. What are your thoughts? <coughs> Yeah, I think uh, you're right about that. I think, again, you know, like I was saying before, I understand everybody has – we are all dealing with constraints in our lives. You know, golf for most of us is not our profession. It's our recreation, and you're trying to to squeeze this in in and amongst all your other obligations and the things that you have going on. Um, but mental rehearsal and preparation off the golf course has been shown to – help 
performance and it's proven. And so, you know, if you, the night before you were to play or the weekend, uh, if you're a college player, certainly, or a tournament player, you know, the week before you're going to go play in a tournament, uh, do some investigation of the golf course, go to their website, take a look at, at the holes, the design of the holes, maybe go on Google Maps uh, and start doing some preparation using Google Maps of what the golf course looks like. You're putting yourself there and you're starting to think about the clubs that you might need to hit off the tees, the lines that you might take, um, you know, stuff that something like even the wind direction and what, you know, the lay of the land and what the dominant wind direction is going to be on the golf course and how that could affect how different holes might play, things like that. By putting yourself there, even if you're not there physically, by putting yourself there mentally, you are prepping yourself so that you don't prize and trying to make a decision in the moment when you are out on the golf course and, you know, you've just made a bogey or a double on the previous hole and you're trying to get your wits about you and you have another choice to make about whether to hit, <clears throat> you know, a three-wood or a driver on the next tee. By being able to do this rehearsal and preparation before the round, mentally, you, you kind of have a game plan, and, and that's really, really key, and it's something that good players do um, and that typical golfers, average golfers, just don't, don't do. And then there's the physical prep, I think, Brian, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, Brian is a big proponent, I know, of, of the physical and the body side of things, and so am I. And I believe, I'm pretty sure John is too. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be physically ready to to go play, and that means um, some basic some basic warm up, giving yourself time to get your body moving, get your, you know get your heart rate up, get loose, uh, because the golf swing is a big explosive motion, and it doesn't take a very a whole lot of time and there's a lot of force involved in the swing and to have a good long golf career and to end to play well uh, you know your body has to be prepped and primed uh, to make that that motion and do it efficiently so mental and physical preparation can go a long way and, and you might not even need to practice as much as you think you do if you do those other things as kind of part of your overall approach approach to the game. Yeah, um, well said uh, again, Paul. And, and you're exactly right. I think, you know, a lot of times people um, spend too much time on honing up their ball striking and, and trying to improve that, which certainly is important. I think we would all agree. Um, but you can be a phenomenal ball striker uh, but if you don't have a game plan, if you don't know how to put all the pieces together when you get out in the golf course, I mean, we've seen this even on the tour level where we see some phenomenal players, incredible ball strikers, um, but when it comes to thinking around their golf course, uh, they're not as proficient as another player who maybe isn't the best ball striker on tour, but they know how to play the game. And, uh, I mean, we've seen this over decades uh, where we see some players who have kind of some odd-looking swings and certainly can hit uh, some good golf shots, um, literally master the events, and then we've seen other players who have, uh, you know, uh, the, the literally the perfect golf swing we'd all love to have, uh, and just not win very many tournaments. So 
you know, there's a lot of factors that involve, but I think if you really, as you all pointed out, really want to reduce um, from those higher 25 handicap players down to, you know, saving them even 10 strokes uh, can very be easily done focusing on those short game areas, um, obviously focusing on the fundamentals and so forth. Um, but um, I think that's pretty much what you need to do. Um, what I'm going to do now is I said I would give each of you a time. So, John, I'm going to come back to you and uh, give you an opportunity uh, to talk about uh, fall golf and winter golf, what you've got, uh, what you typically do and what you've got prepared um, as far as uh, a golf program. So uh, most of the area, even in the sunny south here, we have what we call an off-season, so fall and winter. Uh, we're a little more fortunate down here. So, John, what do you do? Um, what sort of golf or uh, fall winter programs do you have to keep people tuned up for that part of the year so that when they get back out into the full regular season, which we typically have in other parts of the country, uh, they're going to be better prepared? What uh, specifically have you got going up? And if you want to give us specifics of some things going on coming up in your area, uh, by all means, go ahead, uh, throw that in there as well. Sure. The the real key for me is I'm in Florida. So the people escaping the north are coming down here and either looking for one of two things, to continue what they started up north and maybe seek a second opinion or seek some other ideas or actually start something. Their, their season wasn't very good. They were teased with golf and got the bug and they want to do something about it so next spring they're active with, at their club or with their friends. So from a beginning standpoint of view, we do operate Operation 36 classes every Saturday for that pure beginner. It's a great way to get involved with golf, to take it in small increments, to work backwards from the hole to the tee which eliminates a whole lot of frustration for the beginner. Uh, very successful program, very comprehensive. Uh, get a few people into that. Most of the people we have will fit into one of our year-round programs. But I think the difference is because they're eventually going to go back north, and most of them do so while it's still cold and or their club isn't fully, quote-unquote, reopened, we always are adding things that they can do indoors. And we do this mm -hmm. with everybody, but more so the snowbird, per se. Mm -hmm. We have two different seasons. We began our, what I call the full-time snowbird, the person here four to six months. And then we get another influx right around the holidays and immediately after. It's typically the ones that are coming in during the holidays and immediately after they're in a hurry. Uh, they realize, wow, they got only got three or four months. And they're always in a hurry. And those are the ones that we're always trying to get to do something more indoors, in between coaching sessions. We're trying to have them employ those indoor drills at the practice facility outdoors because there's a lot of benefit when you can isolate yourself and use your own body or use your own golf club as a resistance tool to put you in the positions you want to be in to utilize some other swing aids out there to gain flexibility or strength or durability or your ability to be stable over the golf ball. We're always trying to emphasize that for the long-term snowbird. 
we try to get them to understand that you shouldn't be in a hurry. If you're going to be here four to six months, let's let's really plot out a good plan that's comprehensive that includes some on-course instruction. We do a lot more of that with everybody, particularly with the long long-term people, simply because they're here to play golf. And the the more we can get them on the course and help them with that, the more receptive they are to not only the the information and the coaching we're providing them on the golf course, they're absolutely more receptive to the things that will allow them some more long-term improvement. They, They will invest the time. They will be committed to themselves to get that done. Uh, the real key, I think, for anybody winter, whether you're southeast, north, west, doesn't matter, is understanding what your downtime is, if there is such a thing, related to what is most important to you. Is it that summer season when you're back north, or is it, hey, I've got two or three really good months to try to put some really good work in? You've got to come with your time frame and your plan and find a coach such as myself or my staff that will sit down, understand that time frame, and put together a program that maintains current skills, addresses the improvement of skills that you're desiring, but also identifies things that you may not are considering, you, you may not be considering, simply because you're there. You're, you have a blind eye to some things, and that's what a really good off-season program should be addressing. Well said, and uh, we're very fortunate being in the South to, to have that extended uh, uh, time to play, and, and as you said, a lot of snowbirds and a lot of uh, uh, northern folks, if you will, come down to take advantage of the warmer climate. Um, but then there's those like, like Brian up in the Northeast, uh, up in the New Jersey area where you've got a big uh, golf uh, uh, group, if you will. Uh, in fact, a lot of people would be surprised just how many uh, folks in New Jersey golf and uh, maybe aren't heading south uh, for the winter. Uh, Brian, have you got some fall winter programs uh, available? I know that some of the courses are going to, uh, if not already, uh, will be uh, closing shortly. But um, have you got a, a fall winter golf program that uh, you've got in place, or, or what do you do? Oh, Ted, yeah, you know, our, the weather here is we, it's been beautiful the last couple of weeks, but it's going to get to the point where we're not going to be able to get outside, and um, our fall. Our, our winter programs, you know, especially for the juniors, are more skill-building um, sessions that I create because we have to replace time outside with inside. And, and I love – I call it skill-building, and that might mean, um, you know, jumping rope, hand-eye coordination drills, um, some power drills, uh, throwing medicine balls around, jumping, getting them to move their bodies and stuff, you know, just playing catch. Um, so all those – all the skill building, I call it, um, gets incorporated with our juniors. And, and I actually love it because, you know, we can, I can line kids up and I, I can have six or seven stations and they can go through, through the stations. And, um, you know, kids don't like sitting around much anyway. They, they like moving. So that really helps them to stay engaged in the activities. But they're, but they're learning something. They're learning how to move their bodies and they're learning how to um, – uh, get some fish and energy out of their body that they might not get in the, during the golf season. So we, we incorporate that. And then we also incorporate more conditioning for our adult programs. You know, the, the winter is a great time to work on people's flexibility and their mobility and um, some speed training. It's 
you know, as everybody wants to get more club head speed, you know, we've got time to do that in the winter where they're not so preoccupied with ball flight. So once we're inside, they don't see ball flight. They can see the numbers on track, man. But uh, I think once the student stops worrying about the ball flight, that's when they can make some really good um, gains in their swing and um, some of the position positionings we might have to work on and, and so forth. But basically skill building and conditioning is our main focus in the winter. And, uh, and I'll tell you, the, the people that stay with me during the winter, they come out ready to go in April, and they, they make the best, most progress, I think, where they're not worried about playing, they're not worried about ball flight. So I, I look forward to the winter. It's, it's a great learning time for uh, my students up here. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. You know, nowadays with, with technology, having indoor facilities available now, much more uh, frequent and, and, uh, and so forth, um, you don't always have to necessarily, uh, you know, take a jaunt down south or some other warmer area, Arizona, what have you. Uh, there's a lot of facilities now offer indoor training, as, as you do, Brian. And uh, it's a great way uh, to really see some gains in your game. Even though you may not be out in the golf course playing, a lot of simulators are available through uh, many of the facilities now. So you get a good opportunity to uh, be able to, to keep tuned up and, and still see some gains when you come out, as you said, uh, when when the spring thaw happens and you're able to get back out in the golf course. So that's a great opportunity there um, uh, to work with Brian uh, through those winter months, especially if you're up in the New Jersey area. Paul, what about you? I, I know that you've uh, uh, got a fall and, and winter program uh, that you uh, do as well. Give us an idea of what you got cooking. and, and uh... So uh, the Fall and winter programs are, have, are changing a little bit for me. Um, I actually just got back from uh, a trip to uh, Europe and gave some seminars there um, for the, uh, the PGA Belgium. And uh, the seminars combined uh, body swing uh, connection information with a partner of mine at the Titleist Performance Institute, Kaylee Franklin, um, and myself kind of doing the golf uh, biomechanics and and technique side of things, and uh, Dr. Nick Molinaro, uh, who is a very well-regarded sports psychologist here from New Jersey, um, and he gave a presentation on... um, psychology and the mind and how the brain and body work together in golf swing. And so we're going to be offering um, kind of new combination programs together, uh, both in person and remotely um, starting this winter. I have a lot of clients. uh, I'm very lucky to teach a lot of, I would say, serious dedicated golfers and people who have their own simulators uh, and practice areas at home and net setups and things like that. And so I do a fair amount of remote coaching also um, and can and do that via Zoom uh, and FaceTime and also use a fantastic new <clears throat> app called Sportsbox AI. Uh, and I'm on staff with them. And they have uh, a 3D practice app that allows me to basically – give a student a motion capture system in their phone um, and by just taking a video on your phone while you're practicing, 
the app converts that to accurate 3D video, uh, from video to accurate 3D, excuse me, and mm-hmm. will give you pretty much immediate feedback on um, whether or not you're accomplishing what we want you to be working on. So are the drills that I'm giving you working? Are you seeing, are you making progress? Um, and so by combining the body and fitness side and the golf swing side and feedback, 3D remote feedback, people people are really getting better and they don't always have to be here uh, with me. And so I'll be doing a combination of in-person lessons and remote lessons, coaching sessions, and, uh, and also kind of encouraging people to use this off-season. Like Brian said, it's a great time of year because you're not worried about shooting score and you're not worried about ball flight. To change your body, to improve your body for golf, and to change your golf swing so that you don't really have to be thinking about mechanics so much uh, when things get started up and maybe we're playing tournaments or club events in the fall, I mean, in the spring, excuse me. So, um, so yeah, we've got some exciting things starting here and I just gave myself about three days of rest after getting back and we're going to, we're going to get going with all that. (laughs) Well, welcome back. And it just goes to show you guys, you know, uh, you know, again, listening to all three of you, each, uh, you know, have a different approach uh, uh, somewhat and certainly some similar approaches to um, how to handle things in, in the fall and winter. And obviously, uh, you know, there, a lot of technology c- can be used nowadays. And that's w- the, one of the, the great parts and aspects of a lot of this technology is we're able to utilize it um, to do, uh, obviously, a better assessment of overall of, of our golfers, but also uh, when they're not able to be in town, uh, we can still communicate with them and, and still work with them. And I think really, again, the underlining tone, if you will, of this fall-winter season is this is an opportunity for golfers of all levels, um, you know, that uh, may not uh, necessarily have access to some of the facilities that that we've talked about here or or, or even the programs for whatever reason, time restraint. But there's things that you can do if you're working with a coach or uh, an instructor through the, the main season get them to put a game plan that you can do at home. John touched on that about there's a lot of things, drills and things that maybe you can do inside at home, whether it involves putting or what have you, or uh, motions and so forth, uh, to build some of that repetitiveness so that when you do get back out in the spring, you're not just starting from scratch. It's much better than flopping yourself on the couch uh, for four to six months, not you know doing anything to work on your golf game, and then you get back up and you're stiff and and just not ready to go, and then you're spending most of that season trying to get back up to snuff, and by the time you do get good, we're back into the next fall-winter season. So uh, there's no excuse. Uh, We're here to help you, obviously, as instructors, and you've got three great instructors here um, uh, willing and able to help you. So just in in about a minute or so each, um, again, I'll go through the same order. Um, I want you just to, to, again, sort of cap up if, somebody wants to make the most gains during this time of year, what can he or she do to keep their game tuned up in the off season? So just sort of a quick recap, again, very limited on time for each. And then when you're done giving your uh, side of things, let the folks know where they can reach out to you uh, through this season uh, if they want to continue their uh, golfing education with you. So John, go ahead. Sure. I, I think the, the first and foremost thing is don't give up. Don't, don't just, throw the clubs in the corner of the garage and let them collect dust. 
so many people do that. And that that is the absolute first thing you've got to do is not do that <laughs> and make a commitment that you're going to be using those tools during the winter. Uh, second thing, put a plan together for yourself based on what you know. And then seek out a coach that can help you hone that plan for yourself. Find someone who inspires you to go get it done, to get up when it's cold or rainy or snowy or windy. Um, and number three, find the self-motivation. I'm a big believer that people can inspire you. Only you can motivate you. And you've got to find that trigger that motivates you to go do the work. That's why the first step is so important when you don't put them away, when they're front and center, when they're in front of you, and you've made that commitment, doing whatever it takes to get the job done is essential. I've lived by that for 40-plus years, and it works. You really have to make that commitment, use them, make the plan, find someone or a team of people who will inspire you to remind you, not necessarily to nag you, to let you know that you made this the priority, nobody else. We're just here to support you. Well, well said. And and John, very quickly, for those that want to reach out to you, what's the best way they can do that? Sure. Uh, again, John at John Hughes Golf at John Hughes Golf. It's just it's really really simple. John Hughes Golf, and you can find me social media, website. Got a lot of really special things to announce later in the program, as well as a lot of holiday things going on. So I hope everybody contacts me, comes down to Florida, uh, has a great time down here with me and my coaches at my academy. We're looking forward to a great winter. Sounds good. And um, Brian, uh, what about yourself? Any final thoughts as um, as uh, the folks get ready to uh, move into sort of the off season? Just a couple of uh, comments on that, and then let the folks know if they want to reach out to you uh, up in your area, what's the best way to do that? Sure, Ted. Um, three points for the winter golfers. Number one, get in shape. The stronger you can get your body and faster, um, number one, it's great for injury prevention, and and we're going to hit the ball better. Number two, find a coach that can help you, somebody you're comfortable with, get a game plan going, Golf is hard. It's hard to to figure this game out with a coach. But without a coach, it's twice as hard. So find somebody you can work with during the winter and get a plan going. And number three, I think too many of our golfers spend too much time on Instagram and YouTube looking at golf instruction and golf tips and stuff. And I really feel, um, in my opinion, that hurts the amateur player more than it helps. Okay, so stay off of that stuff. It's just going to confuse you from week to week if you keep looking for those tips. Um, So that would be my three-point plan for anybody that's trying to make some progress uh, during the winter. Um, If you're up my way in New Jersey, I'm at the beautiful Trump National in Bedminster. I've got a beautiful indoor facility. I can be reached by email at PGA at yahoo.com or myself. 908-531-3637. 908-531-3637. And, Ted, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, Paul and uh, John, I always love hearing uh, your conversations, and I definitely learn more from you than me talking. So uh, it's been a pleasure <laughs> being on the show. Thank you. 
My pleasure as well, uh, Brian. Uh, Paul, uh, your final thoughts on uh, on uh, the topic, and uh, and then let the folks know how they can reach you as well. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to uh, add a whole lot. I think to you know what what these two gentlemen have already said. Um, what I will say is uh, along the lines of what Brian just said about uh, the general information and tips and, and frankly, just marketing that you see on Instagram and social media. Um, <clears throat> uh, everybody's body is very different. We all uh, look different. Our bodies are, uh, you know, are what we use to swing a golf club and what we use to, to hit putts and, and swing a putter you need to work with a with somebody who knows how <clears throat> excuse me to assess you uh and evaluate your body and fit your golf technique and your golf clubs to your body and i think all the uh, both of the gentlemen on the show tonight can can do that um but it is it's just absolutely critical that you don't try to um solve your most recent pain on the golf course by looking for the latest tip because uh, Instagram or YouTube doesn't have a camera that can assess your body and who you are and what you're capable of um, and how you move. And so the only other thing I would add is find a uh, Titleist Performance Institute certified fitness trainer, somebody who can look, give you a real uh, golf, golf fitness program doesn't have to be intense. Most people these days are working out in some form or fashion, are in the gym. If you don't have a program that's tailored to how you move um, and what you're trying to accomplish in your golf swing, and you're just trying to throw a blanket over golf fitness without having it be targeted for you, you're really missing out on some potential, potentially huge improvement in your game. Um, so I think, again, all of us on this program could, could help uh, anybody with that. But uh, if you're seeking help and need help either remotely or in person uh, and you're in the Northeast, um, my information is pretty easy to find. It's Paul Caster Golf, K-A-S-T-E-R Golf, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. My website's paulcastergolf.com, and my email is paul at paulcastergolf.com. Um, perfect. So thank you guys for being on with me, with us. Well, perfect. Um, John, Paul, and Brian, um, thank you very much, as always, for your input into the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, I know, uh, Brian, and I think, Paul, this is going to be it for you for this season. So thank you uh, for all that you've contributed this season. And I'll be sending out the schedule shortly uh, for next year, for 2023. I hope you guys will jump in again uh, for some sessions uh, next season as well. Always enjoy your input. Have a great uh, off-season, uh, so to speak, uh, fall-winter season. Uh, successful one, of course. And thanks uh, for, for joining me tonight on Coach's Corner. Uh, great job, as always. And and uh, hopefully the listeners will uh, get some good, uh, valuable information out of our discussion tonight. But thanks, guys. Have a great one. John, hang tight. I know you're going to be joined here in a moment by Tom. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. But uh, Paul and Brian, I'll let you go. And, uh, again, best of luck in the season. Have a happy Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. And I'll see you guys next year uh, here on Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, thanks Ted. Paul. Thanks, happy John. Have a good night, guys. Yep. Thank you.
All right, that was Paul Castor and Brian Dobby uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, joining John, of course. Uh, John, take a deep breath in that. We're going to do a quick uh, break, uh, listen to a message from Golf Tips Magazine, and then I'll be back uh, with both John and uh, another very special guest, Tom Schreiner from the Macklemore uh, Club in Georgia. So stay with us. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you for tuning in to Golf Talk Live. For those of you that uh, are joining us a little bit late in the broadcast, I'm going to just introduce uh, this evening's uh, guests, and uh, and then we'll bring them both on and uh, get into tonight's discussion on the second half of the program. Uh, John, of course, uh, Hughes is a PGA Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida's PGA Section, also the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America's uh, professional Development Award, and he's also one of the senior editors and top 25 instructor, as well as a part of the Golf Tips advisory staff for Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, and, of course, he's a regular on the Coach's Corner panel. He was on, obviously, just a few moments ago uh, with uh, with Brian and Paul. Also joining uh, tonight's discussion is the general manager from the Macklemore Golf uh, Club is Tom Schreiner. And Tom, as I mentioned, ser- uh, serves as the GM currently and has over 30 years' experience in both uh, profit and nonprofit industries. Uh, since 2004, he had served as the Director of Business Operations at Covenant College on Lookout Mountain and has been uh, responsible for all of the auxiliary businesses for the college, including food services, summer conferences, uh, property rentals, uh, guest cottages, and so forth. Uh, and he also has an extensive experience in both playing golf and coaching at the highest uh, amateur levels as well. So please welcome uh, back John Hughes and tonight's uh, extra special guest, Tom Schreiner. Good evening, gentlemen, and welcome to Thanks, Golf Talk Sam. Live. Good evening. Uh, this is Tom. Hi, Tom. Thank- great to be on the show, Ted. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, for joining me this evening. So, uh, John, I'm going to give you, since you uh, just finished off uh, an hour on Coach's Corner, I'm going to give you a few moments rest to uh, gather your thoughts and whatnot. And I'm going to start with Tom, if you don't mind, and uh, and just uh, get into the conversation that way. So, Tom... What I like to do uh, for those that have never been on the show before is to kind of get a little bit more history. Uh, obviously, uh, read out uh, a few things here, but um, give us a little bit about how golf became a part of your life. What were some of your earliest memories, earliest experiences? Uh, in other words, when did you first sort of pick up the, the first golf club uh, that led you to where you are today? Yeah, fun thoughts. Uh, <laughs> it, it's fun to th- think back a little and remember how you got started. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Southern California, uh, born out there, and my dad and mom both loved golf. They're recreational golfers. Uh, I don't think dad ever broke 80. Uh, mom could break 100, which was pretty impressive. She was a pretty good player. But uh, recreational golfers, not competitive golfers, but both of them were competitive people. Uh, dad certainly competed 
So my brother and I grew up playing baseball, basketball. We played all sports. And golf was just something we kind of kicked around. You know, when we got to 10, 11, 12, we'd love to get out there and play 36 and, uh, you know, just a ten-finger grip, just smash it and go on. Never really thought anything more about it other than fishing or, you know, golfing. There was just something fun we did. Um, and then I uh, got to college and really wanted to play baseball and through a series of events um, had some surgery and wasn't going to play baseball anymore. And, you know, there was a guy on my hall who uh, was on the golf team, and I won't bore you with the whole story, but really piqued my interest in trying to take up the game. And then found out that the coach of the team was Dave Reagan, who was a Ryder Cup player, a great mm-hmm. PGA professional in the 60s. And uh, so long story short, uh, Dave Reagan really took me in and gave me an opportunity to play golf, and it just <laughs> yeah, it took off. And I lost all loves of baseball and softball and any other sport. I actually played quite a bit of tennis at one time. But all of them really lost appeal to me, and I really fell in love with golf. You know, and, and a very similar story to a lot of folks, I think, out there, uh, who started very young and, and got introduced either by a parent or, or uh, maybe another relative mm-hmm. or even a mentor of some sort. And, you know, I, I think that old saying, and I know it's, it gets old, but for those that maybe have never really uh, been introduced to golf very much and or maybe beginners maybe not fully understand this, but there comes a point in time where you kind of get bitten by the golf bug. And it's just I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain it. Uh, I don't think anybody has really ever fully – been able to understand, uh, explain it completely, but there just something happens, and you just it, it just propels you into wanting to learn more and to uh, you know propel your game a little bit further. Now, at some point, a little bit later on, you mentioned that uh, you you got uh, sort of mentored, if you will, and you actually started playing uh, a little bit more uh, yourself, but you also got involved in coaching as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I did a little bit when my kids, when my boys were growing up, coaching their high school teams and just, you know, involved sporadically. But when I went to Covenant College, um, they had just started a golf program. And very shortly after they started the program, the the head coach left, and they asked me to do that. So I started coaching uh, the college level in 06 um, and really enjoyed it. Uh, It was very interesting to me to go from, you know, helping high school kids to college kids. Even though it's D3, they were still a lot more accomplished. Uh, but I realized just how little um, college players understood the short game and understood really how to chip, how to pitch the ball, how to chip the ball. Uh, so really gravitated toward that end of the coaching. Didn't mess around with swings a lot. Um, you know, my uh, thing with my guys is I would always say, listen, I'm going to make sure that your setup is solid and that you're working on tempo, but if you want to make a mechanical change, you need, to get a, you need to go someone else. So I really stayed away from mechanical changes, really worked mm-hmm. hard on setup, tempo, and then short game. And for the most part, the guys benefited from that because they were also weak on the short game. Yeah, and those are definitely areas that a lot of players, especially our higher handicap players, uh, you know, struggle with a lot. And and when you start playing, you know, at, at collegiate level, of course, you're typically by the time you get there, you've played some golf, and and uh, yeah. it's just a matter of sort of finding, honing into those specific areas that uh, they're weak at, and then helping them strengthen those up. Now, you also played uh, since college. You played. Uh, 
uh, a little more competitive golf. And actually, in 2019, you qualified for the U.S. Senior Amateur, uh, where your oldest son caddied uh, for you in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about that, too. Oh, yeah. Great, great fun. Um, you know, I think I've tried to qualify for, I think it's closing in on 50 USGA events I've attempted, from pub links to U.S. Amateurs to U.S. Mid-Ams. And I've been an alternate, I think, seven times. And I had never made it. You know, it's just it's really hard to get into those hundred player qualifiers <laughs> right. for two spots, you know. And it's really indicative mm-hmm. of my game. I mean, that's just a fair assessment. I was a pretty good player, but I just wasn't that top one two guy. So anyway, um but in yeah, two thousand nineteen I went to Biltmore Forest uh to try to qualify and um I think there were four or five spots and long story short, there were eight guys who shot seventy two and we went into an eight-man playoff for one spot. Mm. And, uh, wow. yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was fortunate <laughs> to win that playoff. And uh, probably, I'll tell you, I've I won, won some pretty fun tournaments, city championships, and player of the year and things. But that was definitely the highlight of my golfing career, getting that final USGA spot. So, yeah, Chris went out there with me, my oldest son, and uh, we had mm-hmm. an absolute great time. And uh, I, I wish I'd have finished it off a little better. Uh, but I was I was five shots inside the cut line to make match play with eight holes to go, <laughs> and uh, I found a way to uh, miss the cut. But it was a great memory well, and super fun having him out there. Well, when in doubt, blame the caddy. But no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, no, and, and that's a great experience for you to have, and for for him uh, to have as well to be able to you know carry the bag for dad and, and get out there and, and help. Uh, yeah you know, not only root you on, but uh, help give you a little bit of advice. It's a good learning experience, obviously, for him as well uh, to be able to do that. But um, so when you look back, and this is sort of the final personal question, if you will, that I'm going to ask you, and then yeah. we'll, we'll get into the discussion about McLemore. And, John, I know you're listening. Uh, you can obviously uh, jump in at this point. Uh, so when you reflect back on both the opportunities that you played and obviously as a coach, what did you personally take away from each experience? Well, you know, I'm I'm 60 now, so my what I, I'm going to answer that question probably a lot different than I would have 10 years ago and 15 years ago even. Um, I look back now, and what I take away is uh, the great community of golf. Uh, golf is made up of a really uh, very unique, I think, very great community. My son, that that one that caddied for me, he's really gotten into outdoor hunting, shooting, fishing. Uh, one of the things we both love about that is it's got a great community of people, really good mm-hmm. salt of the earth, wonderful people. And uh, I look back on my years of golf, and I really appreciate the people that I've been able to be around, uh, the character that it's developed in me. Um, you know, and I think about the kind of person I was at 15 to 20 and where I am now. I think part of my maturation process was really advanced through golf, Um it's just a great game, and it's filled with a bunch of great people. And I guess that's what my biggest takeaway. It's really not accomplishment. It's really not the game itself. It's the people that I've been able to be around. Yeah, and and um, you know, I know John would agree. You know, it, it is. It's it's a game that certainly challenges you at, at a variety of different levels. It challenges you as an individual, not just from the physical aspect of. Uh, you know, trying to master those shots and and sink those putts, uh, but obviously it, it's a maturity thing. I mean, it, it it gives you a test of 
of, you know, how are you going to handle yourself out in the golf course? And it so often mimics life. Um, you know, a lot of people say that mm-hmm. golf and life mimic one another uh, in a lot of respects because, you know, as in life, you're faced with a lot of challenges out in the golf course and how you handle those and how you prepare to handle those uh, can serve you in both arenas. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great takeaway. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, and as I said, John, I know you're listening, so you're welcome to jump in here too. Um, how did you become part of Macklemore? Tell us a little bit about how that started. Yeah, so Dwayne uh, Horton is the main principal uh, developer, the property developer of this whole thing. And uh, he and I went to church together for the last 20 years. And uh, he, uh, you know, we had several conversations about him getting involved up here, him purchasing the land. There was a, a detailed process I won't go into on the whole acquisition of the property. And, but I was involved uh, in some ways very close and in some ways not so close. But I, intimately, I love the guy, and so he and his wife and his family I'm very close to. So I was involved from that, but I would say kind of from a distance. I wasn't professionally involved with him. And he kept asking me, you know, Tom, I'd really like for you to be the GM. I'm not ready to hire the GM yet, but when I'm ready, I'd really like for you to do it. And, you know, I, I just laughed at him. And in, in, in some ways, I made fun of him. I said, you know, Dwayne, you're never going to build a world-class golf resort in Rising Fawn, Georgia. It's out in the middle of nowhere. I just right. don't see it. So I, I would really give him a hard time. But each step of the way, I saw the process, and I saw the development, and I saw it growing, and it was impressive. But when he finished the clubhouse in October of 2020, uh, just two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, Sandy and I, my wife and I went and had dinner, and she looked at me as she was eating dinner. She looked across the table, and she said, does he still want you to be the GM here? I said, babe, he asks me all the time. I think the answer is clear. He does. She said, you call him tomorrow and tell him you'll do it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I said, uh, do you have any idea what a GM does? She said, no. I said, well, you may want to think about that. Uh, it's, it's quite an ordeal. But anyway, long story short, I did. I called him the very next day. He came over to my house, and that was it. So, uh, so I've been involved with it you know, professionally for two years now, but, uh, but I've been pretty close to watching the thing from my very uh, inside the ropes for quite a while. And and of course I've not been there yet. I'm planning on on uh, making a trek there at some oh, point man. in the near future. Um, uh, John's been obviously talking it up uh, quite a bit here. Um, so before I get John's feedback on it, um, tell us for, for those yeah. that have never been there, and obviously we'll direct them a little bit later on, uh, you know, to the website so they can see it and and uh, and, and understand and appreciate what you're going to uh, discuss here, but. What's unique about Macklemore that truly makes it an incredible experience? Explain to the folks why it's such – again, it's out in the middle of nowhere, you know, so some people think, well, I, I just don't understand. Why don't you explain a little bit what, what is incredible about, about Macklemore? Yeah, so I think, you know, I just drove back today from Pinehurst. I spent the last three days at Pinehurst. Um, and, you know, when you go to Pinehurst, I think you get an experience uh, that you're saturated in golf. You're saturated – uh, with not only golf itself, hitting a golf ball, but a culture of golfers in this old, genteel uh, atmosphere yep. that is just, it can take, I mean, it really is enthralling. Um, so, you know, building a golf course just isn't enough. You have to create a culture. You have to create um, uh, a community of people who love to serve. We were so impressed with the Pinehurst service staff. We thought they did that just 
outstanding mm-hmm. job. And I think the thing that you'll experience when you come to Macklemore, before you even see the beautiful views and play the golf course, you're going you're gonna to feel a community and a culture that really believes in service um, and thrives on it. So our people are really in tune to serving people, uh, really want to be there. So that's the first thing you're going to experience. And then when you get on the golf course, you're going to see three different golf courses. You're going to see what we call the cliff side of the golf course, which is just a couple of holes. You're going to have the canyon holes, which go down into this canyon, and they're very unique. And then you have these highland holes, which almost feel links-like. So you've got three different courses out there, but all of them are just beautifully well done. Uh, the fairways are absolutely perfect. We have, I think, the best bunkers I've ever played. Uh, the greens are an AU victory, wonderful bent grass green, which you just don't get in the south, and they're just in outstanding condition. So the course is wonderful to play, and then you have some of these views that are just pretty dramatic, uh, looking out over a 2,100-foot drop-off. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Uh, we have a wonderful driving range. When people first get there, we have a 50,000-square-foot hitting area that's overseeded that is absolutely perfect. So. People aren't hitting on mats. Um, just, you know, we kind of take um, time to make sure everything's done right and appropriated the right way. We just finished the 25,000-square-foot putting green, so it's kind of like this will do. Um, we, you know, kind of replicated that, not quite as large as that one. I was just there again for the first time. That thing is just absolutely monstrous. Um, but ours is something similar, so you can have a putting course to play, and then we have a like the cradle, we have a six-hole short course that's just wonderful, uh, really high-quality surfaces to put on. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to curate an experience, uh, not just have a golf course, but curate experiences for our guests. And uh, I think our guests, if you go online and read, are, are very, very complimentary. Yeah, and it's a very, um, again, it's a very picturesque um, in itself. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, for the the diehard golfer, it's a great uh, golfing experience, and, and I'm obviously basing it on from what John's told me, um, but um, and I'm going to experience it myself yeah, we, at, at at some point here. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's very picturesque, and it's just a beautiful setting, and uh, you know, it's in an area that's that's breathtaking. So it's it's an overall experience. We'll talk about a few things of that. I want to just get John to jump in real quick. John, t- tell us a little bit about your experience. You've uh, gotten to know a little bit about Macklemore. Uh, as well, give us your thoughts, uh, sort of an overall of your experience um, when you've been there, uh, just so that the, the folks listening get a, a little bit different perspective as well um, as, a, as a golf professional. Sure. The the way I got involved, I, I visited Boone, North Carolina, where I went to school uh, last summer for the first time in 25-plus years and had uh, – stayed some time with a client who said, you know, you ought to bring people up to the mountains for a week or two each year. And I started looking. And as I was looking, I bumped into an old and very good friend, Charlie Reimer, who's the executive vice president of golf operations at Macklemore. And he was poking me. He said, you got to come to Macklemore. And like most people, Macklemore, and as Tom said, really, Macklemore? It's in Rising Pond, Georgia? Where is that? What is that? After a couple of months of uh, pushing me a little bit, I made a commitment to go up there this past June. Wife and I arrived Tuesday, and the, the entire operations closed Tuesday except golf course maintenance. 
we got there about 3.30, 4 o'clock, got out of the truck and walked around, looked at each other and said, wow, this is, this is really a special place. And it had really nothing to do with the 2,100-foot drop. We're looking at the clubhouse. We're looking at the amenities and how well thought out they were. And then somebody just came driving up, asked us if they could help us for questions. They they said, hey, we're closed, but can I do this for you? Or can I do that for you? And right away, the service that Tom was talking about came to fruition. It, it's a really special place for very special people who are committed more service-minded than anywhere else I've been. I've been to Pinehurst. I've been to Kiowa. I've been to a lot of places, and, and their service level is on par, if not better. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it's better is because it's so much more quaint, so much more family-oriented. And you get that feel throughout, whether it's the restaurant, the golf course, pay and play. Uh, we got to the villa where we were renting, and as soon as we pulled up, the caretaker's right there. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Hughes, how's this? How's that? Let me show you this. Let me get this set up for you. Knock on the door a day later, making sure everything's well, that we have everything. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible place from an overall atmosphere. Golf is obviously the highlight. Yes, there's, there's some tremendous holes there. It's a tremendous golf course, and they've got tremendous things on the horizon planned and being built. But the the overall experience is something that I had to go back for. We went back in October and did a lot of work up there with Tom and his staff and Charlie, and, and are getting ready to announce something here shortly with you. Uh, it, it's somewhere that it, I call it an unkept, a very well-kept secret in golf in America, if not the world. And it's on par with all these destinations where you got to go and you're there. Uh, and it's going to get even better as the years go on. Yeah, and, and you know, again, I've, I've only, uh, you know, seen it from, uh, from the site so far. But uh, it, it just, uh, again, there just it hits so many sweet spots, if you will, uh, not even just for, for, for those, obviously for those that, that golf, but uh, from a family standpoint as well, you know, for a couple, a great place to go, just, again, some beautiful views and, and a lot of uh, other things, that uh, amenities that are, are becoming available or are available uh, currently. Uh, John, one of the things that um, I know we want to have you talk about here, uh, so Tom, just rest for a second. I'm going to uh, talk with John here for a few moments. Um, You've got some exciting things that are going to be happening at McLemore as well. You've been up there on uh, sort of a, a personal uh, venture and obviously some discussions, and you're planning on doing something uh, in 2023. So let's start that conversation. Uh, tell us what you're going to be offering up at McLemore uh, next year. Sure. First, I've got to thank Tom. Um, I've, got to, I've got to thank Doug Moore, who's the head pro there. Uh, and the entire golf course staff for allowing me this opportunity uh, to bring clients there. There's a couple of clients I brought there in June absolutely loved it. And uh, Charlie's made it very easy, along with the stay-and-play staff, to put together a package for next May 16th to June 18th where I can go up and bring people, not only my clientele but people from around the world to experience world-class instruction through me 
possibly with some of the staff there helping me as well. And just enjoy one to three to four to five days, whether it's one-to-one, four-to-one, a corporate group if you're looking for some team building. Uh, there's, there's a fantastic opportunity there to join me for customized coaching is what I call it. Um, Tom's experienced it. There's, we've got some videos on my YouTube channel where we carry on a discussion, but it was meant to be more of a playing lesson. Tom is a not only a fantastic individual, but one great golfer uh, who, who took to the coaching pretty well. Thanks, Tom. Um, hopefully I didn't mess you up too much. But it's, I think Tom, Tom can speak on behalf of the clientele as to what they'd received because he watched both clients. He introduced himself to both clients and just sort of shadowed what was going on. It was new to the entire property. And they welcomed me with open arms, and I want to welcome the world with open arms to Macklemore and invite you up to just a one-of-a-kind golf course to hone your skills, to be more specific, not be cookie cutter, to enjoy great meals at the Craig, uh, use the Kern for the, the six-hole short game practice area to hone those skills, the, the putting greens lit until the restaurant closes, and it's a it's just a really special place where we can really help your game out in a way that's, that is far more enjoyable than most anywhere else you could think of. And, and Tom, I want to get you to jump back in uh, on this as well um, so that the folks get an idea, maybe a better understanding of the, the, the Macklemore Golf School experience. Um, obviously, there, there's offered half, uh, you know, half-day school and, and full-day uh, school sessions as well. Uh, give us an idea of both um, what uh, typically what they're going to receive uh, during a half-day and what they're going to typically experience in a full-day session. Well, yeah, I mean, John's really uh, kind of crafting uh, most schedules. But I will say this. Um, I have played competitively now for over 30 years, and as I was saying, I've been a decent player, but I've always shied away from instruction. You know, I was listening to your last hour, um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I do think people, golfers are kind of addicted to information. They're looking for the magic yes. bullet. They're looking for that one thing that will just <laughs> transform and, you know, whatever it is, the blue pill, orange pill, whatever it is you want, they're looking for it. To, to fix their game. But the reality is uh, it's just like most other things in life. It just takes time. You just have to be patient. You have to grind at it slowly. You have to... Um, sorry, my wife's in my... Thanks not coming through. She's listening on the other line. Okay, there it is. Uh, yep. so, uh, so, so I would say... I would say that I, I've always thought... Lessons are dangerous, but John came up a couple months ago, as I was saying, and he had me get on these mats, and he looked at where my feet were, and, uh, you know, and I'm kind of like humoring him, you know, I'm condescendingly thinking to myself, okay, John, yeah, I'll do all this, but it all took him all of about 30 minutes to get my, really, body in a better setup position, and I'm telling you, I'm hitting the ball better than I've hit it in a long time. Now, that's just that's not some commercial. I'm telling you, it's true. Right. We we had our state we had our state senior amateur just a few weeks ago, 
And, uh, you know, after 36 holes, I was a medalist. And I've, that's the first time I've been a medalist in a 36-hole State Am event. Um, so it, it, I could see the difference in my ball striking. So I think John has a lot of technical abilities. He's got a lot of patience. I think what you're going to get in a full day, I would imagine, would not just be basic instruction but you're going to get to be out on the course. You're going to get playing uh, lessons, and you're going to get to do it in an environment that is very relaxing. Uh, you know, you're not going to hear any cars. There's no cars running by roads here. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and it is a very tranquil, serene place. So I, I think it, it would be a great experience. I, I couldn't by agree more. By the way, more. he got all that done in a complete fog. Uh, the, the day he and I <laughs> met, it was so foggy we could not see the ball. So out comes flight scope, so we at least know where it was going, and he knew it wasn't going sideways. Oh. Yeah. Hopefully, it wasn't. Yeah. Hopefully, it wasn't going over the cliff and uh, uh, long drop. But um, John, I'm going to get you to expand a little bit. But let me just first say thank you, Sandy, for pointing out that Tom wasn't uh, speaking clearly into the mic. Yeah. But um, yeah. uh, so, John, so thank you, Sandy, for that. God bless you. Uh, she's, so, John, she's smiling. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to get you to break down, uh, and and also thank you for convincing him to take that general manager's job too. Um, I'm I'm sure they're uh, as as well as he is. I'm sure McLevore is very appreciative of it. Uh, so John, why don't you break down a little bit then? Typically, what uh, you know, you've got some things planned, as I said, for next season. Uh, maybe break down what 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 the students are going to be expecting uh, or, or expecting to receive. Uh, during those half and full day schools. So maybe you can kind of break it down a little bit to get the, the listeners a better understanding of what uh, experience they're going to have when they come. So you use the operative word experience. Uh, as, as I was planning all this out and talking to Tom and Charlie and Mr. Horton, uh, that was one word that constantly used that Macklemore's experience. And, and it was very appropriate for me to put together something that is a total experience. And what I mean by that, whether you come for a half day, you have options to do that, whether you come for a whole day, uh, what, what Tom said, tranquility, peacefulness, let, let's not be in a hurry to get there. Let's have you understand what it takes for you to get to meet your objectives, to meet your goals. And, and there will be a, a couple of items that you'll fill out, a player profile uh, that will be very comprehensive not only from your golf and personal but what is it you that you like because if you're staying there for a full day it's going to be an all-inclusive package uh, uh accommodations lunch instruction in the morning and then followed by 18 holes of on-course instruction uh one of the highlights for me is the chicken salad sandwich at the halfway house uh, and that's certainly <laughs> on the agenda as well uh, the idea is that once you're there, you don't have to go anywhere else. You'll stay actually in the villa where the house that I'm in. You'll have your own private quarters. You'll be well taken care of there. Get them fully stocked every day at the Craig during your during your stay. Extra rounds of golf if you want to stay a little bit longer. Uh, you tell me what it is you want to work on. I have no agenda for you. Uh, the only thing that if you listen to the podcast, the years I've been on, I'm always talking about setup, and, and that is what Tom and I worked on more than anything else was getting the setup back and balanced. And 
it's really helped him out. The text messages he shared with me since June have been fantastic, and, and I'm very appreciative that he allowed me to, to do that and work with them that way. And from, a, from an experience standpoint of view, the service, the atmosphere, obviously the scenery, so the weather, it may only be 2,000, 2,200 feet above sea level, but there is a significant difference in temperature and humidity uh, from that of Chattanooga, the closest uh, mm-hmm. municipality, closest metro area. So it's it's very inviting. It's very comfortable. Uh, we're on no agenda other than yours, uh, and and you craft that with me from the starting time to the finishing time to what you want to work on on the golf course and how much you want to be on the golf course, if any, and how much you want to be on the practice facility, if any. It's not about me. It's not about Macklemore. It's about you. And it's about your ability to not only improve but enjoy where you are as you improve. Yeah, and, and that's so important. Is Again, it goes, not to sound repetitive, but it goes to the experience. You know, people obviously are coming to uh, a school such as this to to learn and improve um, their game, but it's about the overall experience. When they go there, um, you know, it, it's not all about work and, and practice and, and even playing. It's it's about really having a, a great overall experience. And, and Tom, I want to get you to touch on uh, just very quickly about that before I go back to John. Um, and, and there's a lot of other things to experience there. I mean, there's uh, you know, various different events that that go on at Macklemore, um, and obviously, uh, one of the interesting things I like about it is uh, obviously you offer uh, certainly membership uh, opportunities, but there's also stay and play. So it's not a completely private club or anything. It's it's available uh, and fairly open, which uh, a lot of folks are looking for that now. Um, uh, you know, for that sort of experience. So talk a little bit about some of the other amenities there. Uh, a little bit, and some of the other opportunities besides just playing some great golf? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, one of the things that we spend a lot of time with senior team uh, conversation is regarding what kind of experience, what kind of experiences are we curating? Uh, people come, as you and John have both uh, talked about, people do whatever they do because they want a great experience. I don't care if it's a fishing trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're looking for is an outcome and, 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 a, and, and a memory of looking back and saying, wow, that was a great experience. Uh, so when we are curating experiences for our guests, certainly a big part of it is golf at Macklemore. But we have a songwriter series that we do in the summer on uh, Thursday night, uh, one Thursday night a month, sometimes two a month. And we bring in great, uh, great musicians, songwriters mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from folks like uh, Dan Tominsky and uh, just uh, a, a wide range of talent because we don't want this to just be a golf club. Right. Go ahead. I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know what that is. Yeah, John, John do you want to mute? I think it's John. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, it's Tom. It's John. Well, that figures. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we want we want to provide music. We want to provide uh, you know great food. We want to create events on the property. Um, and I think what you'll see happening as we open the hotel, you know, we have a 250 room Hilton Curio that will be open in February of 24. 
and that's going to provide yet a lot more types of events. Uh, we have a lot of outdoor events planned, uh, trails that we're working on. Uh, so uh, we've got a lot of plans for uh, shooting, sporting plays, all types of things that we're in the process of uh, developing because we want to provide an experience that is comprehensive, not very one-dimensional. Um, so, yeah, we're built around a golf uh, mentality, but we want to spread that out to much more than just golf. And I think, uh, I think you'll see a lot of this coming to fruition over the next uh, two years. And also, too, just to, to let folks know that it's, you know, it's not just about coming and, and, and staying there, but there's also um, you know, opportunities for people that want to live in that community there. I mean, you obviously have a, a number of uh, you know, mountaintop uh, homes and, and so forth as well uh, available, and also uh, some great dining in the area. And, and as John pointed out, not too far from Chattanooga, if you want to go for uh, you know, a, a drive, it's not, I, I think I remember him saying it was about 40, 45 minutes, give or take, yep. uh, a, a yep. drive. Obviously, short, shorter as the cro- a crow flies, but um, <laughs> it's a long drop. But uh, yeah. so you know, there's a, there's some larger areas if you wanted to to skip out for for a, a day. But um, so if somebody wanted to take advantage of that, that's an opportunity as well. And you've got some sort of in-house dining there as well. So maybe you can touch on that a bit. Yeah. So we have the Craig, which is our recurrent restaurant, uh, and with the hotel, we'll pick up another three restaurant uh, food outlets, uh, very nice dining facilities. Uh, we have multiple state parks within 30 minutes. Uh, great hiking trails, great waterfalls, uh, DeSoto, Cloudland. Um, so, yeah, lots of things to do. Chattanooga has been listed in multiple magazines as a top ten outdoor destination. We have hang gliding just 20 minutes away. So there's tons of rock climbing, hang gliding. Great, It's just a great outdoor area for those who do anything from canoeing to bike riding to hang gliding. Uh, and, yes, that, these are all things within an hour uh, certainly within 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, you got the Ocoee whitewater rafting, um, lots of uh, – that's where the Olympics held their whitewater uh, events back in the Atlanta days. So, yeah, lots to do, a lot of outdoor activities. And uh, as we mature and as we de- continue to develop, uh, we will be hosting and we will be providing many of those things to give quicker access and easier access to our to our customers. And back to your point, yes, we are a development company. We're building homes. Uh, we have, I don't know, nine or ten homes under construction now. We're quickly developing. Uh, people are uh, very eager to purchase property. Our, our values have gone up tremendously in the last year. So uh, as word's getting out on what we're doing, our property values are going up. Um, and, of course, uh, I think John may have alluded to this. I can't remember what we talked about already. But we are building a second golf course that is going to be something very special. And uh, when you listen to Bill Bergen and Reese Jones talk about it, it's really exciting. We're excited, but when I watch those two talk, I get even more excited. So we got a lot going on. Yeah, and and um, you know that's something that you know it's always going to be a growing uh, venue, if you will, and and that's what's exciting about it. And you've got so many opportunities to to expand and 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 add other things along the way. Uh, John, I'm going to get you. Uh, uh, we're going to take you to the penalty box and get you to come back on and talk a little bit more uh, about the <laughs> about the golfing experience um, a, a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I think that 
uh, and I agree with, with with Tom. I mean, John has uh, you know been in the teaching business for a long, long time, and and has a lot of um, students ranging from all different levels, from uh, very basic beginning level right up to uh, you know uh, very seasoned golfers that he's worked with. So I'm not surprised, uh, Tom, that he's at, uh, helped uh, uh, you know handle your uh, game and, and give you some improvements. But uh, John, maybe just touch a little bit more on the, the golf aspect of it, Nat, and 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 really what you yourself want to accomplish along with the others at Macklemore. Uh, obviously, you're going to have these uh, opportunities uh, next year, but what are you really looking What What are you really looking for the folks that come to Macklemore um, based on your experiences and what you see down the road and what discussions you've had? What is it you want to see happen um, and where do you think uh, it's going to best serve them well, as well as uh, uh, the, the individuals coming up uh, to visit? I, I really foresee Macklemore as an entire property being a go-to instructional destination, but not the traditional, not in the sense of my friend Eric Alpenfels at Pinehurst or my friend Laird Small at Pebble Beach. Those are absolutely outstanding facilities with multiple golf courses they're huge you're, you're you become a number think what macklemore is going to be able to provide you is a sense of self a sense of individuality uh, a sense of from a, a coaching instruction standpoint of view that anything's possible that there there's some standardized templates that we have to work within for obvious organization of time standpoint mm-hmm. but from a what do you want to accomplish and where do you want to accomplish it, whether it's a world-class practice facility or short game area, one of the, the current top 100 by Golf Digest course, the Highlands, or the Outpost, which uh, I'll tell a little story about here in a second. It, it's my envisionment as I'm talking to Charlie and Tom and the team there, is what can we do to make this very different because there's so many choices in golf instruction at, say, at all-inclusive resorts. So what can we do different? What can we do to attract the, the corporate entity and have them understand that beyond just the golf, there are places for you to hold the meetings you need to have or conduct the experiences with the other people that are involved with your group and be welcoming to that. What are the other amenities that we can provide of an overall coaching experience? It's not just golf, but whether it's spa or dining at Cloudland or or some other type of excursion on property. Uh, how do you how do you mold and shape that for somebody who they feel like they've gotten something individualized versus something that's cookie cutter they could have gotten somewhere else? There's probably mm-hmm. going to be a demand when the when the hotel opens up the more traditional type of programs and the will certainly be ready to do that, but at the same time when that person comes to the concierge or the pro shop staff and says, "You know I only have this kind of time, and this is something special I want to do for an anniversary or for a coworker or for my son or daughter." or for my best friend who's been beside me and and I've just gone through this traumatic experience and I want to say thank you. Uh, From a coaching standpoint of view, that's something that's 
not necessarily pushed by most academies, uh, by most coaches. And I think Macklemore provides that kind of venue, provides that kind of opportunity to allow anyone to experience almost anything they want, with the exception of being at an ocean. That's the only thing we're missing up there. And I certainly don't want the cove to be an ocean with, with global warming or anything like that. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's about, to me, it's all about how creative can we be to provide what the members, what the guests, what the hotel guests, and what the general golfing public is going to want out of that location. Uh, and, and right now we're just discussing various ideas, throwing some spaghetti on the wall, seeing what sticks, trying to put a little bit of uh, ingenuity to it and a little bit of planning. Uh, as time goes on, we'll, we'll get it better. Uh, we'll get it finalized, and I'm sure everybody will know about it because the, the, the marketing team that Mr. Horton's put together is just outstanding. From that standpoint, yeah, they, could, they've done a wonderful job pushing me and, and pushing their property as well. Uh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. if I could jump in and just say, too, uh, we really haven't talked about our intention uh, for our training center is pretty mm-hmm. significant. Um, we had great plans to start in th- this year, as a matter of fact, to be um, on, in the ground by November but the outpost, the new golf course, took on so much energy and started flying at such a pace, we kind of had to put the training center on hold. But we have a training center that has been master planned, has been uh, drawn up, it's ready to go, and we're hoping to get that thing on, uh, in the dirt by next year, and that's back out on the on the driving range. But it will be a state-of-the-art uh, training facility with two indoor facilities uh, as well as five or six outdoor a hitting base that will kind of look like a top golf looking kind of a, mm-hmm. a hitting area with with TVs and screens. So there's going to be a lot more for our golfers to do, whether inclement weather or they finish playing and they want to go hit balls and they want to get instruction. So we're very committed to the training piece of this, and we know to do that we have to have the proper facilities. So John knows this already, but uh, again, this was something that was it's been master planned. It is ready to roll. Uh, but due to the outpost taking on so much of our energy and needing to move that forward quickly, we kind of shifted gears, um, but plan on uh, jumping back into this in the spring. One last thing, Ted, real quick about that training center. I think this will really set off what I was trying to say about being different and accommodating. As Charlie and I have talked about this, he, he came to me and said, you know, I want everybody to be able to use this, and I asked him what he meant by everybody. And he wants other coaches like me to be to have the ability to come to Macklemore and bring their own students and craft their own programs there and utilize that training center once built to utilize the facilities the way they wish. That that most most places you go, most resorts you go, they have a coaching staff that's there. Macklemore will, will certainly have that. But that won't be – it will be a feature somewhat, but I think the biggest feature is that staff's going to be very accommodating to pros from around the world to welcome them with open arms and make them feel at home, like that training center is theirs as well, that, that it's there for their usage and that it will help them craft and will help support them in their efforts with as well. 
Yeah, and that's a great point and a, and a great benefit too, I think, guys, because you know, as you point out, John, typically, you know, mo- and, and certainly understandable, most resorts or or uh, you know, high high level uh, facilities tend to have their own in in-house uh, staff and that and, and obviously want to push and promote them, which is understandable. So I think to, to have where you've got that available, but you've also opening the door to other uh, professionals that want to come and take advantage of, of that facility and, and offer, uh, you know, another option uh, training program or what have you, I think uh, really speaks volumes to, uh, you know, the thought process going behind. Um, John, I think you were going to touch on something, share something about the outpost uh, as well. I know uh, Tom had mentioned it, but uh, I think there was something more uh, that you wanted to say, or, or Tom, do you want to uh, mention about the outpost? Tom, go I would right love ahead, to because I've got more yeah, of a if you get me, relief. If, if, if you got me on the outpost, I need 30 minutes. <laughs> That's the problem. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. So All right, well, then, John. I'll reduce this. Yeah, I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'm going to try to keep this to two minutes. Um, I, You know, I've been involved in golf my whole life, uh, really. I've been, like I said, I've, it's been my love for 30, 35 years. I've never experienced anything like I have in the last year. Again, watching these architects, uh, listening to Bill, watching this course get cleared, watching all of the trees leave, and looking at this land that lays there. I asked Reese uh, Jones, I said, Reese, have you ever seen a golf course? I asked Bill and Reese both this. Have you ever seen a golf course where any one spot you could look and see all 18 holes at the same place? He looked at me and he said, never. I said, we can do it multiple places. He said, I know. <laughs> it's just a unique layout that it lays, just like Pebble Beach, it lays against the edge. It lays against a cliff edge. Instead of ocean, we're just a drop-off. But then it just rises up slowly as it leaves the cliff. So that as you leave the cliff edge, you're always looking back down toward that um, valley and it is just unlike anything I've ever seen. And now that Bill and Reese have laid out these holes, uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you, it is going to be spectacular. The layout is spectacular. We are not sparing expense on the highest quality of turf, materials, equipment. It is going to be second to none. Um, and I'm proud to say it, and I'm not afraid at all to underachieve here or underdeliver. It's not going to happen. We're going to over-deliver, um, and I, I just can't be more enthusiastic about, about what we're building there. That's fantastic. I echo and, that. Yeah, and, and John, go ahead. Uh, We've got a couple minutes left if you want to. You said you sure. had to, uh, something to share as well. Sure. Uh, I echo Tom's comments about under-delivering. Uh, that's something that Macklemore prides itself on is the under-promise and over-delivering. So do I, an outpost. It's an incredible piece of property. I've, I've been there with Charlie twice, have seen the drawings, have seen the staging is the term I'm going to use of what the golfer is going to experience from the time they exit the road into the property to the time they step foot on the first tee to the time they're done on the 18th. It's, it's, it's going to way over deliver anything that they can ever tell you that it can deliver. Uh, a real quick comedic story. Tom saw half of this, and he doesn't know the other half. Back in June, Charlie uh, looked at me sort of quizzically. He says, you want to go see the outpost? And I'm like, sure. And I had all my coaching clothes on and such, and he puts me in a four-wheel 
vehicle and we go screaming down the road at 55 miles an hour open air. I'm like, where are you taking me? And he takes me to where they had just started clearing the property for outpost. And we were there probably an hour. Uh, he showed me around. I took some pictures off the cliff and such. And we get back in the four-wheeler and we pull up to the villa because he hadn't seen my wife yet. And we bang on the door and my wife was just aghast with the three and a half inches of dust that was on us. And she wouldn't let us come in. We were patting each other crazily to get the dust off us. Fast forward in October, uh, Gene Purplant, who's my video and image guy, Ted knows him well. He, I had him up mm-hmm. there the first part of the visit. And I'd just gotten my truck detailed before going up to Macklemore. <laughs> and I asked Charlie, hey, can we go to Outpost? He goes, yeah, but I don't have a vehicle. I said, you don't have that four-wheeler so we can all get dusty? He says, no, someone else has got it. Someone else has a company truck. But we can take your truck. So I've got a half cab in the back that Gene squeezes into. Charlie gets to the front seat. And Charlie on the way there says, well, we have we do have some gravel down on the roads now. He had, Tom, what, back in October, would you have about 500 square feet of gravel down at the entrance? And we drove all over this property in a non-four-wheel truck, had a blast, took some really good pictures, and we get back to the villa, and we bang on the door again. My wife looks at me and the truck, and it's like, we're clean pretty much, but the truck's got four inches of dust on it. And luckily where I stayed, the owner had a blower, and I was out there blowing the truck for about an hour uh, and then asking oh, everybody where the nearest car wash was. It, it was <laughs> It, quite an experience, but at the same time, from an education standpoint of view and excitement standpoint of view, it, it's an incredible piece of property that's going to that's going to house, it's going to host, it's going to uh, allow a golfer to experience a one of a kind golf course on the East Coast, if not the country. Uh, it will. It will. The Highlands is a top 100. The Outpost is sure to be a top 100. And it's not just from the scenery. It's it's from the quality that Bill Bergen and Reese Jones is putting in to the design. Um, it, it's hard to see when things are roughed out, but they do a, a phenomenal job of posting things and, and, and putting things where they should be as they're clearing property for you to actually envision what this is going to look like. It, I, I can't wait for it to open. And, and Tom, real quickly, when does uh, when is the anticipated uh, opening of the outpost? Yeah, so the hotel will open uh, February of 24, and then the golf course will open after that. I think okay. realistically, we're looking at early summer of 24. I think it's the okay. best way to say it, rather than put a date on it. Uh, but I'd say you know early summer of 24, uh, the outpost will be open. Okay, perfect. And um, as I mentioned very early on in the broadcast, because we've been talking uh, a lot about Macklemore, um, Tom, if somebody wants to get information uh, about this facility and all of the, the great things that are being offered, what's the best way uh, for them to go about doing that? Is there a website? Um, Absolutely. Let's give the website yeah, out to, to them. And then, okay, and all of the information is there. And then, John, what I want you to do is just to let the folks know, just sort of reiterate again what you're planning on doing there uh, in 2023, uh, give them the dates and how they can reach out to you 
to best uh, take advantage of that opportunity? Sure. Basically, if you go to MacklemoreGolfSchool.com, that is a dedicated landing page that I've created for next year's programs. Um, that information is going to be posted socially uh, within the next day or so. Uh, if you're trying to get me ahead of time and get your date squared away quickly, reach me at john at johnhughesgolf.com or call me, 407-852-8547. Basically, the dates are May 16 through June 18 of 2023. I'm going to take a small break for personal reasons between June 1 and June 3, probably, June 4, uh, for some pre-scheduled things. But again, half days, full days, doesn't matter the size, doesn't matter what you want to do. The, the landing page provides you all the details as well as links to go ahead and get your date secured. So that's MacklemoreGolfSchool.com. Uh, and again, if you have any questions, just feel free to contact me at any time. Well, I want to say, uh, first off, to both of you, thank you very much for joining me uh, this evening here on Golf Talk Live. It's uh, been an interesting uh, conversation. And, uh, Tom, I'm certainly, you know, John, uh, as I mentioned earlier, has, has certainly talked up a storm uh, about McLemore for, for quite some time now, and I know he's very eager to uh, get back up that way uh, for next year, and I'm sure he may even uh, head up there before then, but um, it, it's uh, certainly a great property, but I want to thank you for uh, for joining us tonight and, and shedding the light a little bit more for the listeners, and uh, I'm certainly, along with, with John, going to do my best to uh, uh, to continue to help uh, uh, spread the word about this great facility, and I'm going to make a point, uh, and John and I will uh, have a discussion about that, but uh, plan on uh, making a trek up there on behalf of Golf Tips Magazine and uh, hopefully do some things there to further help uh, uh, spread the word. But I want to thank you uh, both, and John always, uh, uh, for doing what you do, but uh, particularly, Tom, I want to thank you for, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live and sharing uh, more information about the McLemore Club. You bet, Ted. It was a privilege to be on here, and we look forward to meeting you, having you on property and hosting you, and I think you'll be like most of our guests. You'll be a little bit more surprised how good it is in person, how much better it is in person than on magazine covers, so we look forward to welcoming you here. I appreciate it, and uh, I think it'll be more difficult getting rid of me as opposed to getting me up there, <laughs> but we'll, you'll, have to, I love it. you'll have to do your best. <laughs> I, may, I may not want to leave, but... Thank you guys well, very perfect. much, and thank you, thank you, Sandy. I hope you're still listening uh, for doing what you do, keeping them on the straight and narrow. Uh, but God bless you both. Thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live, and, and John, you and I will talk real soon. But uh, Tom, again, thank you for, for thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Dad. All right. Good night. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right, that was John Hughes, the PGA Master Professional, and Tom Schreiner, uh, General Manager of the McLemore Golf Club up in Georgia. Uh, you can go to McLemore, uh, uh, the, the dot com is the web, main website. And then, if you want to uh, take advantage of John's uh, uh, opportunity, if you go to if you go to mclemoregolfschool dot com, and it's spelled M C L E M O R E golfschool dot com. All of the information's there. Uh, the dates, uh, there's a, a video promotion uh, that John has put together telling about the opportunity as well and a lot of other information, some photos and so forth. And obviously you can book right there 
uh, through this particular uh, web uh, page, and he'll be putting that out through social media uh, to let people take advantage of that. But again, that's uh, MacLemoreGolfSchool.com, and uh, you can go to uh, the MacLemore.com as their general website uh, to get more information about the club and, and so forth and all of the different amenities. But uh, thanks again uh, to the guys in the Coach's Corner panel for joining me earlier on, always uh, bringing your best. And I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in tonight. God bless everybody, and I will see you next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.